Today we're joined by Tim Fitzpatrick, the president of Rialto Marketing. Tim is an entrepreneur and business owner with expertise in marketing and business growth. He has 20 plus years of entrepreneurial experience with a passion for developing and growing businesses. That passion served him well in operating and managing a company he co-owned for nine years. The company grew an average of 60% a year before being acquired in 2005. Since then, he's had failures and successes that have been valuable learning experiences. He started Rialto Marketing in 2013 and has been helping entrepreneurs simplify marketing so they can grow with less stress. Most entrepreneurs overcomplicate the marketing process, and Tim doesn't think it has to be that way. We hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Excited to learn a little bit more about how you've been servicing businesses, helping small to medium-sized businesses come up with their simple plans like we talked about in our initial conversation. And, and maybe the best place to start, Tim, is just give us a little bit about your upbringing as an entrepreneur, how you became an entrepreneur first yourself, and then a little bit about your business today. Sure. So uh, my path was not straight. They're, they're supposed to be straight, right? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Almost. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a, it was a winding road. Um, I, when I graduated from college, I, st- I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do. I ended up getting involved with a wholesale distribution company that I became a partner in. I managed that company on a day-to-day basis. And uh, we grew about 60% a year for nine years. And then we sold it in 2005. Um, I worked for the company that bought us for another three years. Then I moved to Denver. I was in Northern California. I moved to Denver with the company in 2008. And uh, in 2009, I got laid off. So, you know, I had to, I had to figure out what the heck I was going to do. Yeah. There's a lot of people around that time frame, right? 2008, yes. 2009 crisis, right? Yeah. Yeah. We got bought by a public company. Uh, they were, you know, they were managing their business based on the quarterly financials. So mm. they cut 30% of the branch locations at that point. And uh, I was a casualty of that, but they, they did me a favor. I wasn't happy at the time. I knew I needed to make a change. They just kind of forced my hand. So I took some time off, started thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I got involved in residential real estate as a realtor. Okay. Most people would say, oh my God, that was a horrible time, Tim. It was, but there's opportunity in every market. And so I was door knocking people that were in foreclosure, trying to help them sell their house uh, before it went into foreclosure. So I was doing a lot of short sale business, working with the banks to get the bank to accept a sale on the property for less than what it was worth. I, I did not like it. I did it for about three years and I just got to a point where I was like, man, I, I'm not enjoying this. And what's the point in owning my own business if I'm not loving what I'm doing? Mm. So I, I shifted again. I started thinking about what I loved about being in distribution because I felt when I was doing that, I felt like I wasn't even working because I loved it so much. And so I started thinking about what did I like? What did I not like? And that's when I started looking at, at marketing and got involved in marketing and you know, what I'm doing today from a marketing standpoint is working with primarily service-based businesses, just helping them simplify marketing so that they can grow, eliminating a lot of that information overload and that overwhelm, because I think marketing can be simple. I just think it's, it's very easy to overcomplicate it. So yeah. that's it in a nutshell. Well, that's great. You know, I, I, <laughs> uh, I love the concept of you know, a lot of people, 2008, 2009 is no different than the dot-com crash, is no different than the COVID crisis, and yep. people have to reinvent themselves. And I love the way that you reinvented yourself. But more specifically, I'm a big believer in that hedgehog concept of, you know, where does success 
meet your passion and what you can be the best in the world at. And if you can find that Venn diagram right in that spot, that's your sweet spot. It looks like that's exactly what you found. It's not easy to get there. And I'll still tell you, it's not always perfect, but I think the better we get at identifying what our gifts are and how we can use our gifts and what we're doing, the better off we're going to be and the more we're going to enjoy it. Absolutely. Well, let, let's go right into those gifts, Tim. And I look forward to you sharing some of those gifts and examples of your, your work that you work with a lot of small and medium-sized businesses, helping them with their marketing strategies. And can you tell us a little bit more about your business today, who you're servicing, and what are some of the services you provide? And then we'll dive a little bit deeper into specific examples of how you can help entrepreneurs. Sure. So uh, like I mentioned before, service-based businesses, our ideal clients fall into a few different camps, coaches or consultants, professional service providers, so like CPAs, attorneys, those types of folks, and then home service companies, so contractors. Those three is typically where it, where it falls. Okay. Great. And, and can you tell us a little bit about what you help those businesses with exactly? Yeah. So our, our tip of the spear, if you will, or what we lead with, um, because it's a differentiator, is our focus on getting those fundamentals in place first. I think so many people get tactical with their marketing. You know, I've got to have my website. I've got to have a Facebook page or a LinkedIn page or whatever that tactic may be. And they skip the fundamentals. But when you skip the fundamentals, you're building a house without a foundation. Mm. It's not going to work long-term. You're going to waste time. You're going to waste money. And you're going to have to come back to those fundamentals. So we like to focus on the fundamentals first. Then we can help implement and execute from a tactical standpoint. So whether that's, you know, your website, your social media, your content, your email marketing, we get involved in a number of different digital marketing services and we can act as that outsourced marketing partner for the client. Because the other issue I see a lot of businesses dealing with with marketing is the, the owner or somebody close to them may be managing multiple marketing providers. I've got a website person. I've got an SEO person. I got social over here. Well, they don't, they don't understand what the heck those people are supposed to be doing. And because they don't understand what they're doing, they're not managing them effectively and their marketing becomes just completely disjointed. Mm-hmm. So I think you need to have somebody that's driving that and we can act as that driver and that main point of contact. Okay. So, so to recap there, it seems like those are a couple of, you know, big nuggets that you say that small business owners, small medium sized business owners kind of lack, um, you know, or, or missing. One is they're too focused on the tactics versus what is the fundamental of what we're trying to achieve here. So for example, yeah. we need to have a website, but the website really isn't accomplishing the goal of the business. So the fundamentals versus tactics. And the second thing I heard there was, you know, there's somebody tactically that's, or you know, go back to tactics, somebody tactically in that company is handling multiple providers. You got this person over here for signs. You got this one over here for advertising, this one for web, but they don't really know the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. There's no strategy. So take us, take us a few layers, maybe deeper within those two specific concepts. Why, why specifically is that a problem? Because there's a budgetary issue, right? Small to medium sized businesses only have a certain amount of budget. Yep. So they're, they're being frugal with their spend. They can't necessarily hire a full-time marketing person. So they're being diligent. But why is that a problem? It's a problem on multiple fronts. First off, if, if you get tactical immediately without really understanding, one, who's your target market, right? Who are you going to serve and how are you going to serve those people and have a clear, engaging message to that target market, 
you put up a website and then you spend time trying to drive people back to that website. Well, if it doesn't identify and resonate with who you're trying to work with, it's not going to work. You know, so we see people, you know, hey, I've been doing SEO. It didn't work. Well, what, tell me more about that. Why didn't it work? Well, we, we got traffic back to our site, but we weren't getting any leads. Well, in a lot of cases, we're kind of treating the symptom there, right? The symptom may be, I'm not generating leads. Okay, well, you need to do SEO, but we're not actually treating the root cause, which may be, you have no idea who you're trying to attract. Yeah. So no, nothing converts because people come back and it doesn't resonate with them or you, or you don't have a clear engaging message. They land on your website and they're like, I have no idea what the hell these people do and why I should even do care. Yeah. So I'm not going to fill out this form that they want me to fill out. I'm moving on. So we have to get those fundamentals in place because they're the foundation. Then we can start to build the rest of the house. Got That's it. the first part. The second part being a problem, right? Yes, we all have budgets um, and we have to be cognizant of those budgets. But if you as the owner are going to manage people, right? You have to understand what those people are doing to be able to manage them effectively. It's no different than if I'm trying to manage a marketing person or an operations person, I have to have a general idea of what, what they should be doing, right? Because otherwise, sure. how can I manage those people? How can I direct them? How can I give them feedback? I think if a mark, if a business owner had a plan, right, and got some outside eyes first on that plan, mm -hmm. it would be much easier for them to take that plan and then direct multiple providers with it. But I think it's at some level, you have to have an understanding of what the heck needs to happen if you're going to carry that out and make it happen. Yeah. And on your thought on focusing on the fundamentals first, I got a couple of notes from you. One is getting clear on who the target market is. That is something you'd consider a fundamental. Yes. And another fundamental is getting a clear, engaging message that'll resonate with that audience. Yeah. What are other fundamentals that every business should get clear on? The other fundamental we look at from a marketing perspective, I call them the marketing strategy trilogy. You've got that target market. You've got that message. You have to have a plan. You have to have a plan of how you're going to get that message in front of that target market. To me, those are the fundamentals of marketing. If you get those in place, then you can start to build from there. And on the who's a target market, can you give us an example and feel free to name names if you want to give them credit sure. or if you want to conceal that. Can you give us an example of a company who you worked with almost as like a case study where we go, here's somebody who I worked with. Here's what was going on. Here's a difference I made. Here's a clarity they got on the target market. Here's a message that was developed as a result yeah. and the plan that was created just kind of ground that theory a bit in a really solid example. Of yeah. Think. So we give you some ideas there. So we, um, we recently worked with a CPA firm and they were, they were targeting, you know, most small business owners. Um, you know, she had realized that, look, not all of these people, just because I work with small business owners, doesn't mean that every small business owner is going to be a good fit for me. And she had been working with clients. You know, she was running into issues where, you know, she was having 
discovery calls with people and you know they just weren't a good fit they were really there to just get information they weren't interested in working with her so she was wasting time and and money talking to people that really just weren't a good fit at all and we started looking at um with existing with existing businesses that have current and past customers i like to start by having them ask themselves three questions who do you enjoy working with who are your most profitable clients and who do you do your best work for? If you can work with clients that you can answer positively to all three of those questions, you're going to be in darn good shape. You're going to be loving it because you're working with people you enjoy working with. You're going to be profitable because you're attracting and working with profitable clients and you're going to get referrals. You're going to get repeat business because you're doing, you're working with people that you do great work for. And so when we taught, when we talked about that, she had identified that she really loved working with primarily uh, women business owners, but uh, veterinarians and um, dental clinics. And so those were the ideal, two ideal client types that she chose to work with. And once we knew that, now she can, you know, look, yes, there's business terminology that resonates with various different types of businesses. But, you know, when you're talking about veterinarians or dentists, there's speak, or, you know, dentists speak, there's veterinarians speak. And when she can start to communicate a message and use their language, you know, it's not your business, it's your practice, right? It's just little things like that will start to resonate much, much better. The other thing that she now has the capability to do is, okay, great. I'm not just trying to attract business owners. I'm trying to attract dentists and veterinarians. Now I can start to outline a list of where are these people? Do veterinarians belong to certain associations? Do dentists belong to certain associations? Are there influencers that they follow online? Are there blogs that they follow? Are there groups that they're a part of online on Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups? Are they, you know, are they on certain forums? What types of manufacturers are in the space? As you start to create that list, you now have a list of where you need to be to get your message in front of those people. And so that's the process that we now worked through. And now she has a lot more direction and focus because she knows exactly where she needs to be. And she knows what she needs to say when she's in those spaces. Yeah, thanks for that. So the the breakdown on who's the target market in your is you're a business or a practice? You would be a business. I'm a well, I'm a business. I could be called an agency, right? Sometimes right. people call it, you know, is it a marketing agency or are you a marketing consultant? Right? But it just it, it's different in in different industries. So for example, in schools, right? Cause I worked in, in the school market for a while. We were, we were selling mobile apps. When I first started Rialto marketing, we were selling mobile apps into the K-12 education space. In that space, it's, you, you're talking about their community, their stakeholders. It's, the, it's that terminology that when you can really hone in on who you're trying to reach, there may be specific terminology for that market or for that ideal client type. And when you can start to use that, it's just those, it's a, it's a very small nuance, but it can make a huge difference. Love that. 
So in your agency, uh, when you go, who's the target market, the way that you bring somebody through that discovery process is asking, who do you enjoy working with? Who are you profitable to work with? And who do you do your best work with to kind of triangulate who that target market is? I think those are great cliff notes on how to do that. What would your cliff notes be on creating a clear, engaging message? What is the process you use with your clients once they understand their target market yep. to create the message? We use a storytelling framework. And I, Rich, I did not invent this. It, the storytelling framework, frankly, has been around for a long time. But Story Brand from Donald Miller kind of popularized. I have the, the book and listen to yeah. his podcast. He has a great yes. podcast. He does. Um, and the, when the framework was introduced to me, it just made sense. It really clicked with me and resonated with me. And so we started to use it and found, hey, clients get this. It makes sense. And when you use the framework, you, you're, you're creating messaging and then you, you've got a playbook that you can go back to so that you're not recreating the wheel every single time. So if we think about this is a, here's the storytelling framework, okay? There's a character or a hero in every story. They have a problem. If there's not a problem, there's no story. There's no hook that brings people in and engages them. They meet a guide. The guide knows exactly what they need to do because the guide has been there, done that. The guide used to be in their shoes. They know exactly what they did to get to the other side of the river, okay? So the guide gives them a plan that calls them to action so that they can avoid failure and they reach success. So when we use this framework, what we're doing is we're positioning your company as the guide because our customers aren't looking for another hero, right? Heroes don't know how to solve their freaking problems, right? <laughs> Uh, they're looking for a guide that can help them get from where they are to where they want to be. So we want to, we position you as the guide and your customer is the, is the char character or the hero. So you're inviting them into this story where they're the hero. And when you have this framework, you just, it's like, uh, think of it like chords on a guitar. I've got a limited number of things I'm going to use in my messaging, but does that mean that I can't create infinite songs with it? Absolutely not. If I have eight to 10 chords on my guitar, I can play all kinds of music. Same thing here. I've got eight to 10 elements that I can pull messaging from, but I'm not pulling it from anywhere else. Because if I do, my messaging's not going to be consistent. And if I see your, you know, in marketing, we talk about the rule of seven, it takes at least seven impressions for your brand, your message, your offer to resonate. Well, if the first three times I see your message, you're saying three different things, it's not registering with me. And it's going to take that much longer if it ever does register with me. So all we do once we put the framework in place is that's your messaging playbook. I need to create a, a sales email. Okay, here's my, here's my playbook. I'm going to pull these elements, put it together. Boom, go, move on. So correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I want to recap what you just said. And then I want to recap where I believe most companies get it wrong. Yes. And how you correct it. So what you said is your company is positioned as the guide. Yep. The client or your target market, they're positioned as the hero. Yes. And where I believe from my knowledge of story brand, where most companies get it wrong is a position the company is the hero and the problem is what the client has 
and the guide is a solution they're selling. So it becomes this big solution-oriented selling feeling process versus the way you described it, the customer's a hero. They see themselves in the story and how if you go with that company, you're the one who wins. You solve that problem by going to this company. You're the hero and they see themselves in that story. That's my understanding of it. Can you clean that up for myself and our listeners a bit on yeah. how companies get it wrong? Yeah. So I think one of the big ways companies get it wrong is they talk about themselves too much. Yes. When you talk about yourself too much, you're positioning yourself as the hero. Our customers don't care about us. They care about what we can do for them. So when you use the framework, it helps you communicate in such a way where you're communicating what you can do for them. The specific problem that they have and how you can uniquely solve that problem. That's where the huge benefit is. So as you position yourself as the guide by building trust and credibility and showing empathy. Those are the characteristics of a guide. So it could just be simple, something as simple as, you know, we understand how overwhelming it is to battle information overload when it comes to your marketing, right? All I'm saying is, look, I know what it's like to be in your shoes. I've been there. And then from a trust and a credibility standpoint, it's, do I have testimonials? Do I have certifications, awards that I've won? Have I worked with high profile clients that you might recognize? Those are all little ways that we can just position ourselves as the guide. But do I need 10 testimonials on my website? No. If I have two or three, that's more than enough. If I've got three or four logos of certifications that I have, cool, perfect. I just need a couple content blocks on my website with that information that's enough to position me as the guide at this point. If they want more information further down the road, cool, they can get that. But we don't need to talk about ourselves. We need to talk about how we can help our clients solve the problem that they have. That's the big mistake people make. Um, the other big mistake people make is they, they make it too difficult to understand what you actually do. They're not clear, they try to get clever. And when we get clever, we make people think too much. And we're, we have short attention spans, we're short on time. If I land on the top part of your website and I can't understand quickly what you do and how I might benefit by working with you, and maybe the next step that I need to take, I'm gone. I'm moving to the next website in the search results. Yeah. So those are the two big mistakes people make and that's how the framework really, really helps eliminate it. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you when you say that, it reminds me of when you think about attention span. I don't know if you guys have been on YouTube recently, but when an ad runs on YouTube, it runs for five seconds until you can <laughs> before you can skip it, right? Yes. Yeah, five seconds yes, to engage do. the audience to listen to it a little bit more or you're skipping. And yep. it's amazing how, you know, what used to be 30 seconds to get your message across has to be that simpler, you know, that much more simple. Um, I, I love this fundamentals trilogy of clear on target market message and plan. And, uh, you know, when you were talking about the target market and, and Rich went through with you, I, I had heard a quote today, as a matter of fact, uh, I, I read it, excuse me, and I, I can't say exactly who it was from, but, but the quote was, and it stuck in my head, the riches are in the niches. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't know again who said it, but you, you brought it right back to that because it's very easy to say my target audience is everybody in this demographic that you know has a business, 
but but then you spend your marketing dollars chasing them. And if I if I got a little technical with my you know pea brain marketing knowledge, it's like you know your your Google AdWords are costing you too much money. You're wasting money by chasing the masses versus your target marketing and going into the right Facebook groups or Instagram groups or LinkedIn groups, whatever, targeting the veterinarians that have yeah. businesses for your CPA firm. So I really love that niche approach because way too often when you ask somebody what's your target market, they'll say well, anybody in you know this state that has this demographic, you know, and they, uh, yeah, they I work with I work with small business owners or I work yeah. with entrepreneurs, right? It's too broad. Yeah. Now that you you may be able to niche it by saying I work with entrepreneurs, you know, um, uh, this is a bad example, but I'm coming up with the top of my head is you know I work with entrepreneurs that um, are interested in growing from seven figures to eight figures. Yeah. Okay. Well. That's that's more specific, right? It's still fairly broad, but it's but it's honed in and it's enough. I think it's specific enough, yeah. but it's also versatile at the same time, right? If I'm a if I'm a seven figure entrepreneur working to go to ten to eight figures, and I read that message, I'm gonna say, hey, you know what? They're talking to me. Yeah, exactly. that's all we want somebody to say is they're talking to me. If they can say that, then I think you've honed in enough on your market. Um, yep. the biggest roadblock that people have when we talk about this is they go, well, gosh, if I, if I narrow it down, I'm going to miss out on business. Yeah. And yeah. what ends up happening is the, is the exact opposite. You end up attracting more business because your message is that much more clear to that market. Yeah. And your marketing is so much more targeted that you convert more of the leads that you get. But the other thing too, is I'm not saying those are the only people you're going to do business with. I'm just saying, those are the only people you're going to focus your marketing efforts on. Do I still get referrals for e-commerce businesses? Yes, I do. Do I work with all of them? No, I don't. But if I know that I can help that person with the specific problem that they have, well, then I can make the choice. Do I want to work with you or not? No. Yeah, and I'll take That's... that even a step further, I think, Tim. If, if you look at it that way, if you spend your marketing dollars wisely, invest your marketing dollars wisely, I should say. Yes. You get the right return on investment because you're in a niche and you're going to focus on that niche and focus your spend there. The referrals you're getting outside of your marketing dollars, if you choose to work with them, are probably the ones where they're higher margin. They want you more than you need them. Yes. Uh, and, and, and you create a, a, nice, a nice setup there. And I, I do love... You know, again, you that we just talked about the target market again. I love what you and Rich went back and forth there on messaging. I think Rich, the way you articulated your understanding of it was fantastic to help me kind of wrap my head around it as well. I think it was very well uh, messaged there, and and I love the way you talk about the guide or the company. You have to have that empathy. You got to be able to have a clear, quick message of empathy to solve the problem. I love that. But the third thing in that trilogy is the plan. Yeah. So so bring us to that. So so I guess before you get there. I'm seeing Tim, your uh, your value add to an entrepreneur of the business is we had a, a at one point we had a Vinny uh, Fisher on with us. He's a he has a fractional CFO firm, right? Okay. Yeah. A lot of companies can't afford their own CFOs, and he provides fractional CFO services. I see you as kind of like your firm is kind of like the fractional marketing director. I'm gonna yep. have you stop wasting your money over here and investing it over here. And part of that, and the first thing, is a simple plan. Yeah. What are the what are the con, you know con, contents of that plan? Yep. Uh, so no surprise, I try to keep this as simple as possible. Um, I, use, I look at marketing in 90-day sprints. Okay, our businesses are evolving 
quickly and our marketing has to adapt with that as well. You know, so this time last year or early last year, if I had spent a bunch of money on a one-year marketing plan, what happened in March, right? Yeah, Most people would have burned that thing or it would have gone on a shelf and collected dust. Yeah. So I look at a 90-day marketing plan with six steps in it. The first step is the target market, you know, so I, at, a, at the very least, I want you to have a paragraph for each of your ideal client types. Who are they? You know, what, what are the results they're looking for? You should not have more than three ideal client types. I don't think if you have more than that, it can start to get pretty diluted. But at a minimum, I want a paragraph in there. And that being on your plan just helps keep top of mind who you intend to reach. The second step is what's your goal? What's my goal for the next 90 days? It needs to be specific. It needs to be measurable. It's gonna be time bound because this is a 90 day plan. So I might, maybe my goal is I intend to bring on 10 new clients in the next 90 days, okay? Now, the one caveat I tell people here, the, a goal like that, I call that an outcome-based goal. With outcome-based goals, there are a lot of things beyond my control that could impact my ability to hit that. So I tell people it's important to have an idea of where you're headed, what you want, but don't get so consumed with the goal that you, know, you get disenfranchised if you don't hit it. Right. I think you really need to focus on the actions you can take and what you can control, but you have to have an idea of where you're headed. Third thing, what's my budget and what are my resources? How much money do I have to invest in my marketing each month? And from a resources standpoint, this is time and capability. How much time do I have as the business owner? How much time do people on my team have? And even if they do have the time, if I've got social media in my, in my plan, does anybody on my staff have the, they may have the time, but if they don't have the capability, then I can't, I, can't, I can't do that. So I've got to have an idea of what I have to work with. That's what this section does for us. In the fourth step, it's what's my current marketing plan? And I realize, you know, John and Rich, a lot of people may not have an existing plan. That's okay. Yeah. We just want to get down on paper a reference point, a baseline of where we're starting from. Because my GPS can't tell me how to get to Denver International Airport until I tell it where, where we're starting from. This is the same thing. So um, I look at eight main channels. Strategy or fundamentals. Do I know my target market? Do I have good messaging? My website, content, you know, am I creating blogs? Am I doing a blog, a, a podcast? Or am I creating videos? Search engine optimization social media, email marketing, paid advertising, so Google ads or Facebook ads, and then offline marketing. Am I referral partners, speaking, direct mail? Any tactic is gonna fall into one of those channels. So all I want you to do in this four step is just write down, what have I done? What do I continue to do in each of those channels? If you're, and by the way, don't feel like you have to be in every channel. You do not have to be in every single one of these channels to have a wildly successful business. Then let me yeah. recap those eight channels real quick yes. before you go to step five. It was strategy and fundamentals, yeah. uh, website, content, SEO, social, yeah. email, paid ads, and offline. Yep, yeah, you got it. 
Beautiful. And uh, go ahead. What's step five and six there? Step five is my next 90 days in those channels. What am I going to do? What am I going to execute on in the next 90 days in each of those channels? Now, depending on what your budget and your resources are and where you're starting from, you may only focus on one or two elements within a given channel. It really just depends on where you're at. But all we're doing here is highlighting what are my marching orders for the next 90 days. This helps eliminate that distraction so that next week, you know, when John comes across and says, oh my God, Tim, you gotta be on TikTok or you need to be on Clubhouse, I can go, hey, John, thank you. It sounds like a great idea. I'm gonna put it on my list over here, but I can't even think about that until I'm done executing what I need to in the next 90 days. Now, if you finish, right, and you're done executing and you got time, well, then you can take on more stuff. But with, if you don't have a plan, everything looks like an opportunity. But when you have a plan in place, it gives you that discipline to be able to go, you know what? It's not on my list. No, I'm not going to do that. I need to execute. I chose these for a reason and I need to follow this through and do it. So that's what we're doing in the fifth step. What am I going to focus on for the next 90 days? And then the sixth step is what metrics am I going to track? The metrics help you identify whether the actions you're taking are having an impact or not. Now in marketing, there's all kinds of vanity metrics that don't mean a damn thing. How many followers do I have on Facebook? How many people are on my email list? How many you know, visitors are coming to my website? To me, none of that stuff matters if you're not generating leads and converting those leads to customers. So I would recommend that you keep this as simple as possible. I would look, I was a math major. Okay. I can dig into the weeds on the analytics, but most people don't need that. You need to identify those handful of metrics that really make a difference. And then from there, if you want to get more advanced and sophisticated, you certainly can. But honestly, most people have no idea how many leads they're generating and how many of those leads they convert to customers. If you, if you know just that, you know how empowering that is? If you can say to somebody, yeah, if I, if for every three leads I generate, I get one customer. Well, now if I know that I've got to, you know, hit a certain revenue goal or I want to bring on a certain number of customers, I know exactly how many leads I need to generate. Yep. That's super empowering. And most people don't even know that. Yeah. I, I tell you, Rich, that I'm sure this connects with you. And, and, and I'm sure, like, you know, I think Rich and I kind of grew up in the environment that, you know, you can't improve what you can't measure right. or don't measure. Yes. Uh, and I know Rich lives in a very KPI centric environment. And I, I'd love to maybe Rich dive a little bit deeper into this as well. You know, when you think about an ROI spend, a lot of people just spend money. Uh, but they don't really on a marketing side because they don't have the expertise to know what's the right cost per click or what, what you know what the lead conversion rate should be or the ROI. And, and Rich, you know, again, I know you work with hundreds of uh, contractors as an example. I mean, how tightly do you see that being measured in, in your business and, and in other businesses? Well, as tight as we can get it is a simple answer. And the Difficulty on the ROI sometimes is tracking back a lead source. So we have a number of franchisees in an area that's a designated marketing area and they co-op their money and get radio or TV, for example. Well, sometimes that those media buys end up generating leads through sources that don't come in through radio or TV. 
but yeah. radio and TV moved them to be, for example, an internet lead. So to accurately track back ROI, I think, is a difficulty. And I'd love to get your perspective on that, Tim, on what are your recommendations to companies when they're tracking the metrics and they're trying to track lead sources, but at some level, depending on the marketing effort, you're not going to have a good ROI, but that may not mean eliminate the re- the lead source. How do you make a recommendation there? Yeah, I think you. there are a number of ways we can track, right? Even if you're doing things offline, you can still track through, you know, call tracking, or you, you, know, you can send people to specific URLs, right? So maybe I might set up a specific URL, a website for a campaign. And if I do that, I can track the ROI that way, right? We can set up UTM codes that can then be tracked through Google Analytics. So you can't, there are ways that you can track. Some things are easier to track than others, right? So it can be difficult, but I think at a minimum, when you're running into a situation where you're talking about Rich, where it's really hard to track, in that case, I think it's more important to just have an overall idea of, are we getting an ROI in our marketing as a whole? Let's start there first, and then we can start to dig down and get more granular with specific channels or specific campaigns. But if we don't have an idea first of, look, are we getting a return on our marketing period? Um, man, I think you're just going to spin your wheels. Because if you don't know whether you're getting an ROI as a whole, how are you going to even think that you're going to get determine ROI from a specific channel? Tim, what so, are you, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's fine. I, I, go ahead. We can keep digging into it. I was just going to ask, what do you recommend for our listeners or YouTube viewers where do they track the lead sourcing? So, uh, so if so, I'm doing a Valpack and I'm doing Facebook marketing and I'm spending some money on SEO yeah. and I can start to track where some of the leads come in, what is your recommendation on where they track the lead sourcing and how all of that yeah. Up being in a dashboard at like at a glance view, like what's your recommendation there? You, yeah, you can't, there are tools out there that will um, bring a lot of those things together. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. We don't use a lot of those tools. We, t- we typically use Google analytics okay. and then in combination with some of the other, so like, let's say I'm using call tracking. Okay, there's uh, CallRail, PhoneWagon are really popular ones from a call tracking standpoint. So with call tracking, like you said, I'm doing Valpac. Well, with Valpac, if I'm using call tracking, I don't put my main number on there. I set up a specific number for that Valpac campaign. And when people call on that, it rings through to my main line, but everything is tracked. So I can go back to a, a system like CallRail and see okay, well, this, this number we use for the Valpac deal for the second quarter, it generated X amount of phone calls from that. Uh, a lot of those will do call recording as well. So if you want to actually listen to the calls and say, hey, are my people doing a good job of triaging these calls, converting, getting where they need to be? It's, it's not, I wish I could tell you there's a silver bullet with this. There's not. It's I mean, you really got to put all the pieces in place and you have to make sure like with calls, you know, because you, uh, you're working with uh, painters, right, Rich? So, right. I mean, 
a lot of those, those are people picking up the phone, making a call. If you don't have good mechanisms internally to say, hey, we got a call. And when a call comes in, here's exactly what you need to do to start tracking all this. It needs to go into our customer relationship management. You need to tag it with X or Y. If you don't, if you don't have the right systems in place, the data that you're putting in is not giving you enough to get a good output, right? So the, the data is only as good as what you're putting in it. I think that's, uh, I guess I wouldn't have expected you and maybe it was a bad question, to ask you where you would track offline sources since your picture is an online sources and you said use Google Analytics. I'm curious, what are some of your favorite views on Google Analytics that any entrepreneur listening that uses Google Analytics go to? What are some of your favorite views and what do they tell you? What What I typically look at are the conversion goals. So within Google Analytics, you can set up specific uh, goals and conversions. And you can actually tie dollar amounts to those if you have dollar amounts to them, right? So if I know that, um, I, if I know that the, if, if I know that the average, the lifetime value of a client is, let's just say it's $5,000, okay? Um, and I know that it takes X amount of calls to get a client, I can attach a value when somebody signs up for a discovery call, let's say. Well, uh, now I can say, hey, Google, uh, when somebody signs up for a discovery call, I want you to track that as the conversion and here's the dollar amount to it. Now I can look at my Google Analytics each month and break it down to weeks or days or months or whatever it is and go, we generated X amount of conversions off from our site, from this specific element. The other thing that I like to look at is where we're getting traffic from on our site. So if we're doing social media, is that social media actually driving people back to our site? And are those visits converting? So I think it's really important to set up those goals so that you know are you know, what are people reaching the, what you, what you want them to do on your site? And if you do that, you can then start to track it back to the sources where it's coming from. Those are those are two of the best places to start. Yeah, thank you. Um, I wrote down a quote you had with when you were talking about step five. With no plan, everything looks like an opportunity. Yeah, I really believe that. And I love that. And it's like, you know, you have a plan when you know what you should say no to. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like, if you're saying yes to everything, you don't actually have a plan. Uh, right. Um, yes. But there's this other side of that coin that says, you also don't want to miss an opportunity. Yeah. You don't want to be so rigid to your plan. What's your recommendation to entrepreneurs on where that line is of, I'm clear on what I'm saying no to. This is my plan. I'm going to do yeah. it. But how do you evaluate an opportunity you weren't planning on that you may not want to pass up? Yeah. I. Anytime you say yes to something, you're going to have to say no to something else. Because we don't, look, most entrepreneurs are, they don't have any more time. They're at max capacity. Okay. So we, if you're going to add something into your plan, 
before you say yes to it, I think you have to understand what you, what you're going to say no to, or like how you're going to actually make that happen without impacting the rest of your plan. So I agree with you. I don't think your plan should be so rigid where it's like, absolutely not. I'm not even going to consider it. I think we have to have an open mind, but we have to have a process in place where we can logically evaluate whether this is something we should move forward and whether it makes sense. And if we are going to move forward, is that going to impact something that we're already doing? And you're saying it's a trade-off. Like you could say yes to something, but you can't keep saying yes and adding marketing dollars to things. If you're going to go off your, first of all, put it on your list and maybe put it on your next 90 day sprint. Yeah. But if you're really going to be compelled to go off of your plan and you're going to say yes to something, it means you need to say no to something else that makes a little harder decision of evaluation instead of just, yeah, sure. Let's throw more money at things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, look, most people don't have the money to be like, yeah, let's just throw extra dollars at it. So if if you got a limited budget and you're going to say, well, I want to do this, well, then you got to cut the, you got to get the money from somewhere. So where are you going to get it from? You know, so I, you just have to be careful with that. The thing that I would say is, I mean, look, 90 days is not a long period of time. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but time in this pandemic seems to be flying by, even though I'm like hardly going anywhere. Time flies by fast. Are you really going to, are there really that many opportunities out there where if you waited, you know, 60 to 90 days, you're going to miss the opportunity? There are some, but those opportunities are few and far between. Yeah. You know, Tim, it strikes me too that, you know, way too many times we think about marketing as an expense. And I caught myself earlier in the conversation. I don't know if you caught it. Yes. Marketing expense. I said, wait a minute, investment. Um, and, and you, you, you know, you just gave a good example there again, where entrepreneurs look at their budget and I have X amount that I need to reserve for marketing. But in the context that you're talking about having metrics to track and conversion goals and ROI, uh, you know, when I first met a, a, a digital marketing expert that I, I've done some work with, Jared Antista, and sat down with him for the first time, you know, he had convinced me that for every thousand dollars I'd spend with him, he would three exit and show me the return on investment with numbers, with metrics. Yeah. And when you ask yourself a question, if you asked any entrepreneur, if for every thousand dollars you give Tim, I can make 3000 out of it. Well, how much is, is there to spend? You know, you don't really start thinking about your budget. Now you start thinking about, oh my gosh, it's an investment and there's an ROI attached to it. But I think way too many entrepreneurs look at their marketing as an expense, as a budgetary item and I think when you work with somebody like yourself, over time, you start looking at the, the ROI on investment on that marketing line versus the expense I have to do every year because that's how much my budget says I need to spend. Uh, I'm so, thank you for bringing this up because um, I usually talk about it. it. If you view marketing as an expense, you can cut it. If you view it as an investment, it's something that like your 401k, you put X amount of dollars into it every month because you know you are going to get a return on that money and you have to do it. The what, marketing, I, I view it as a flywheel. You, as you put money and invest in it and you invest activities, it starts to gain momentum and gain more momentum and more momentum. Well, if you stop feeding it, it, it 
it takes that much longer to get it up and going again. It's marketing is not a switch you can turn on and off. You have to do it consistently to start to see those returns. But as you pointed out, John, if you're tracking the right metrics, anybody that you work with from a marketing perspective should start to be able to give you over time, should start to be able to give you an idea of what type of return are you getting? But you have to have that base. You know how many business, how many businesses do you ask that say, if you, if you sat down with somebody and said, what's the lifetime value of a client for you? How many businesses do you think could actually answer that? 5%. Yeah. If you don't know that, you don't know whether you're getting an ROI on your marketing. Too many people look at it and they go, oh, yeah, the average sale is $500. Well, that's great. How many times does that client come back to you over the, over the years or how long do they stay with you? That's the, cause it's not just the $500. Yeah. You got to know the whole example to that. And you gave a great example to that when you're giving the conversion goals. And I love the way you looked at it, which is, you know, if it takes you 10 calls to make a sale or 10 lead forms to make a sale and every sale is worth $5,000 and that, you know, that lead is worth how much? Yeah. 500. Excellent. You know? Yeah. And so if you, if you spent, you know, $500 and generated 10 leads, you know, that's, you know, you can, you can calculate everything out pretty easily from that perspective. So I yeah. absolutely love that. I know Rich loves that as well. Cause we're very metric driven from that side. <laughs> of so, so Tim, if entrepreneurs, there's just, there's so many nuggets here. I love the way that everything is very cleanly organized and the way you've articulated it here today. So there's a lot to gain. If people want to get more information about you or your company and maybe get a little bit more from what you can provide their business, where should they go and how can they get in touch with you? Uh, best place to go, John, is rialtomarketing.com, which is R-I-A-L-T-O marketing.com. We did put together a landing page with some free resources for on the marketing fundamentals, a lot of the stuff that we talked about today. Great. So if they go to rialtomarketing.com forward slash entrepreneurs dash united, there's a bunch of free tools there um, that your listeners can take advantage of. If they get stuck, they're running into roadblocks, just click to get a free consultation button on our website. Be happy to chat with you and help you push through those roadblocks so you get some clarity on where to focus now. Can you give a quick tour? What are some of the free tools people can look forward to? I'm hoping that you'll be able to promote them real quick and I'll drive yeah. them for people. To Absolutely. Be to- so um, the marketing plan template that we use is in there. The, um, a lot of times we talk about the customer journey and understanding the customer journey. That's part of your target market. What's the experience that customers are going to go through from the time they think about working with you all the way through buying and doing repeat and referral business. So we talk, there's some, uh, some resources there. There's a customer insight survey. So one of the greatest ways to really understand your target market is to interview your clients and ask them the right questions. That insight survey has about 14, 15 questions. It's a 10, 15 minute conversation. You will be amazed and blown away at the information you garner by actually asking your customers the right questions. Um, The playbook, the brand playbook messaging template we use, that's in there. Um, Ideal client persona worksheet is in there. So there's a a bunch of tools in there. Does that help? Yeah, that's incredible. I never would have guessed that much value was in there that you were giving away. And I'm sure entrepreneurs are going to love it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know what? There's one other thing. I don't want to forget this. I call it the Marketing Evolution Index Checklist because a lot of people say to me, hey, well, okay, this is great. How do I know what to focus on? The Evolution Index Checklist looks at those different marketing channels 
in the phases of a business, phase one, two, three, and where you should be. Well, when you're first getting started with your website in phase one, here are some of the things you should have in place. So it's kind of a checklist people can work through and go, yeah, I've done this, 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 and this. Okay, well, if I wanna to go to phase two on my website, I need to start focusing on these elements. So it gives them a framework and a checklist to follow as kind of a guideline. Yeah, that's great, Tim. This has been an enjoyable conversation. Most importantly, learned a lot. I appreciate all of your time and certainly appreciate all the resources you're providing our entrepreneurs. So cool. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thank yeah, you. thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Please stay with us for a few more minutes while Rich and I break down the podcast. Rich got a ton out of this conversation here today. I mean, certainly I love the way that Tim was very concise and how he organized the information for entrepreneurs and how generous he is with the resources he's providing us. I'd have to say, though, if, if I took one big thing out of this, just personally, is the whole target of, you know, who are you targeting? And way too often, I've struggled with that conversation. Uh, well, because I always went way too broad. I even had an experience here recently where I, you know, we were running an, an ad campaign and I couldn't narrow it down myself in my own head. And it just took a couple of questions to go a little bit deeper and once you find the niche, you can actually spend your time and energy so much more, more wisely. And if you take what Tim was talking about and do it in 90-day increments, you can actually even focus in 90-day increments in some of these niches as well to make sure you're spending your energy and time properly. And once you have that target, have you ever been exposed to story brand? No. Yeah, really good book. And, and he described it really nicely. Once you've got that target audience, part of that story brand method is in your marketing, painting a picture of your clients winning because they've selected you and you did it right. Instead of the traditional marketing is painting the story of your company is winning. Yeah. We have all the accolades. We're the best in the business. We have the best employees. We give you the best product at the fact, like we're winning that in the story brand concept. You don't do that. You would talk like in the painting business. Yep. When we got some of this, we switched to, um, you know, a marketing message around you do life. We do painting <laughs> so that the customer was central. You do life. And now there's marketing around somebody at a beach while their house is being taken care of. And people are like, wow, I'd love to be at a beach while my house is being taken care of. Yep. And it's like, it, 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 we're delivering the same service, but how it's marketed puts the customer central instead okay. of the company central. It sounds nuanced, but it is really fundamental to grabbing the right target audience. Yeah, absolutely. And the third part of that fundamental trilogy, as Tim re referenced, it was having a simple plan. And he talked about the, the plan being in 90-day increments, which I love, 90-day sprints, actually, he called it. And yeah. I love that idea for entrepreneurs. It should be hyper -focused. It's so hard to think of what you're going to do for marketing in December. People just put a number down. They don't even know what they're going to do. But in 90 days, it makes sense. But the six steps that he talked about was put a paragraph together of how you define your three. Yeah, I got that. Don't too. go more than three. Your three types of uh, targets, right? Two was set a goal for the next 90 days. Have it be a SMART goal. He didn't actually put the SMART acronym right. in there, but you could tell that's where he was going with it. Right. Have the right budget and resources. Do you have the capability to do some of these things? If you don't, maybe you should twist your resources a little bit this way or that way. Don't try and assign a big social media campaign. You don't have the right resources to do it, right? He talked about. Look at your current marketing plan. He went through those eight categories. 
Um, what are you going to do in the next 90 days in those eight categories? And then what are the metrics to track? So I just wanted to recap that because we didn't recap it during the episode. And I love the fact that he actually has that plan on the link that he shared with us for our guests. So I'm going to go catch that and make sure that matches my notes as well. Yeah. And when I asked him the follow-up question on where does flexibility kind of meet rigidity of being on your plan, I really liked his answer. If you're going to go off plan and you're going to say yes to something that wasn't on the plan, what are you going to say no to that's on the plan? And, you know, I know it's a little bit divergent. We don't need to get into a whole time management conversation, but it did make me think of schedule wise. When you say yes to certain appointments, you're saying no to spending your time in other appointments and focus areas. Like, not only is that a marketing principle, I mean, that's a pretty good life principle. When you say yes to some things, you need to say no. And if you're not aware you're saying no, you you still are. You're saying no to other things when you say yes to some. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Again, to your point, I don't want to go too deep into this, but that's the one thing. Is this one thing you're going to do going to help you accomplish your objective for the day, for the week, for the month, for the year? If not, you shouldn't be doing it. But I love the way you both had quotes on this that resonate with me. You know, he said, when you don't have a plan, everything looks like an opportunity, which is absolutely true. And the other one is, you know, you have a plan when you know what to say no to. And I could say, certainly as an entrepreneur myself, sometimes we deal with the shiny object syndrome. This looks great. Let's go. Uh, But then you're off your plan. So I I love the way you guys both, um, you know, cap that together. When you were talking about marketing as an investment and you said that podcast that we did with Jared and for every thousand dollars, I can three exit. When you really think about it as an investment, what if I told you I had a stock? I got a hot stock buy. If you buy ABC and you put in a thousand bucks in like three months, I could make it 3000. And I said, and you believe me. And I said, how much do you want to buy? Wouldn't your answer be, well, how much can I put in? Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, and I think if when we find marketing companies that do their job really well, part of doing their job well also knows market saturation. Yeah. Because you can't just pile money upon money upon money and it still be a good investment. But there is a point, the, the majority of marketing uh, plans are, in my experience with entrepreneurs, more underfunded rather than overfunded. So if yep. you think of it as an investment, you're going to be asking, like, how much can I put in? That's right. That's right. And if you know the long-term value of a customer, you know, I'll, I'll cap it up with this for me. Marketing is a flywheel, Tim, Tim said. If you, keep, if you know the long-term value of your customer and you're spending, you're investing your money wisely, it's a flywheel. I'll just keep giving and giving and giving in the long term. And that's what entrepreneurs need. You know, I already clicked on the link and there are, I mean, literally eight different PDF documents that you can open and download. Uh, I would just encourage every one of those who are listening or watching on YouTube to get to that marketing link that he set up. R-I-A-L-T-O, rialtomarketing.com forward slash entrepreneurs hyphen united. And he set up these eight things for free. And if he's giving this much away for free, can you just imagine if people signed up for him to do the marketing form, how generous he is with a paying client? Yep. So neither of us have ever done that type of business with him, but you could just know what's in his heart. When he's giving stuff like this away for free, he's got to be incredibly generous with his paying clients as well. Yeah, no doubt. Love the episode.